Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Tennis Channel Insight. And on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, Mitch Michaels here. We're into the semifinal round of the 2022 French Open. Hope everybody out there is enjoying the tournament. And right now we have a guest to break down all the action, how we got here, what's on deck for the weekend. Our guest on today's show is a quarterfinalist in the 1984 French Open and actually won his only mixed double major at the 1981 French Open. Jimmy Arias joining the show again. Jimmy, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Shouldn't have mentioned the years, however, of those. Hey, you know, the good. Re- but that's okay. I'll <laughs> let it go. The the mixed doubles was funny because I was only sixteen years old, and I remember thinking I'm going to win like ten of these in singles. So why do I care? Mixed doubles turns out to be the only major I won. But anyway, I digress. So let's talk about today. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say one other thing. I watched that '84 quarterfinal match against Macro. It was pretty competitive. You know, you were playing no. one of the best seasons ever, and it wasn't like you got destroyed in that match. I didn't get destroyed in that match, but I was that was post-mononucleosis mm. 1984, and I did not feel like I could play tennis anymore, and I just competed really well. Mm-hmm. So I give myself props for that, but I never felt like I was in with a chance. It was like three, three, and four, yeah. six, you know, that, but I, I just never felt comfortable. <laughs> Well, as we kind of move to today and talk about, you know, competing and how some of these veterans are are crashing the party on the men's side, I thought, and that's where we're going to spend most of this time here is breaking down the men's draw and how we got to the semifinals. But it was interesting, at least to me, and I'd love to hear your perspective on this. The men's game, we had in this, if you want to call it a bracket, we had a lot of chalk early, a lot of the top seeds handling business till the fourth round, the quarterfinal. And then some of the upsets started happening. So were you surprised at all, especially in the bottom half of this draw, that you know, the seats kind of did handle their business maybe better than some would have thought, and then we got some of the breakthroughs in rounds four and beyond? Um, that's a tough question to answer in a lot of ways because I feel like the top seeds in the men's game are reasonably consistent. It's almost as if they are slightly better and that's been going on for a few decades obviously with the with the top with the big three or four mm-hmm. and it is the top half of the draw was so stacked and those guys all got to the rounds they were supposed to get to with not with a couple of difficult matchups along the way bottom half were the players that were sort of you're unsure of with their form coming in Medvedev coming off Herney only had one match on clay. He lost it the week before the French had no idea how he was going to play. He does make the, you know, the round of 16 and Rune sort of this kid who won junior French open a couple of years ago that has a lot of confidence. He's sort of a kid that's always talked as though he's going to be great. And that's usually been translates into you, you are going to, if you believe it, it, it often happens. And so I guess this was sort of his, his breakout moment in party. Um, and then even Rude, Casper Rude, 
you knew he was a great clay court player from past results, but it hasn't been smooth sailing for him right. in the clay leading in. So the bottom half of the draw, there were huge question marks, and you did expect, you know, an opportunity. I don't think Marin Chilich would have been the dark horse I would have picked right. to get through semifinals. In fact, I'm sure I wouldn't have picked him probably, but but he's there and he's sort of doing this, you know, Chilich it has a U.S. Open feel the year he won. I don't remember what year that was exactly, but the year he won the U.S. Open, he just breezed through the draw. And for the most part, he's breezed through the draw. Yeah. Yeah, 2014, he won that U.S. Open, and I agree with you. We're used to it from the very, very top, but it was nice and, and kind of good to give us those matchups from the bottom half of the seeds to really, you know, the top 10 seeds, I should say, to get there. Uh, you mentioned the top half of the draw, Jimmy being super stacked. We got Nadal Djokovic in the quarterfinals, and Rafa avenges last year's loss, beats Djokovic in four sets in a match that had pretty much everything, a lot of drama, a lot of momentum swings. The ups and downs in this match were were pretty entertaining, to say the least. Rafa rolls in the first set similar to last year, was up a double break in set two when Djokovic comes back. That was the point a lot of people thought that Novak was going to take control of this match, best of five, having won a set where early on he had no business winning. But then, Jimmy, it was Rafa and his ability to bounce back, win set three, and then rally to win set four. Just an unbelievable effort by Rafael Nadal. And I'm curious if you thought as the match was going on that he was going to right the ship after what we saw in the second set was a set that he kind of blew. Um, I would probably have said no. I didn't think he would right the ship at that point in time. I sort of felt before the tournament started because I guess there was a little bit of question marks about obviously Djokovic had played well in Rome and it, you know, started having that feel of, okay, Djokovic is Djokovic again, you know, all the controversies he's behind and, and he's ready to start dominating again after the way he won in Rome. And then you're a little worried about Nadal coming into the tournament because of the foot problem that he had in Rome and you, and you were thinking you don't know what he's going to be. But as soon as I saw a match or two of Nadal's, I thought, okay, wow, horrible draw. For the, the final should be Djokovic and Nadal still. <laughs> yeah. You know, have that so it's horrible that they're going to play each other in the quarters. That's my first thought. And I did think, I just felt like Nadal was going to find a way to win that match after round one or round two when I saw that he's physically pretty good um, because I just felt like there's still this weird pressure that Djokovic is feeling. He now has to catch Nadal in the in the majors, he had the chance in the U.S. Open last year to sort of break away from the pack and be the greatest of all time, and all that sort of stuff that's swirling that's yeah. on top of it. And Nadal does a better job of sort of just not having history thoughts. He doesn't. I feel like he plays each match to play that match, yeah. and there's no other outside influences, and I think that's helpful to him in those sort of huge moments. But then I thought. Nadal in the round of 16 against Felix Auger-Aliassime was sort of inconsistent at times. He had ups and downs. There was a great match in the end, but I just felt... So then I, I switched back to, I think Djokovic is going to win. So what I'm saying is, I have no idea in the, in yeah. the end of the day. And Djokovic won the second set from three, love two breaks down. I didn't think there's any chance he's losing the match from there, but the momentum swung quickly again. You know, and I agree with you. I think the Felix match, just to go back to that 
sets one. I mean, he won sets uh, one, three. I think one, two, three, and five. Set five was flawless tennis, but he did have some inconsistencies in the sets that he lost in that match. And you think about court time and the you know the injury factor of you know he looked healthy, but is it good for him to still be out there? So all that being said, I get why there were some doubts. Djokovic was just breezing into the quarterfinals. That fourth set was fascinating because Djokovic up a break. There was a moment in that in that fourth set where people were wondering, is is Rafa gonna go into energy conservation mode, get to the fifth set? But like we know with him, he knows no other way. And he had Djokovic had set points on his serve at five three, couldn't get it done. And it goes to a tie break. And I think the the most shocking thing to me, Jimmy, was in the tie break. Novak was off, and we're just so used to him going into lockdown mode in big tie breaks where he takes away the unforced errors. Credit to Nadal because you know the pressure he puts on you, especially on clay, but Novak making errors in the tie break is not something we're accustomed to seeing. No, but I think Novak is cracking a little bit. I think it started with the U.S. Open last year. That was sort of that whole tournament. I know he made the finals, Mm -hmm. but that whole tournament he was cracking. And it shows you how much he thinks about the history because the only reason he was cracking was because he was trying to get a calendar year yeah. grand slam. And he, if you remember that tournament, he was losing first sets to pretty much everybody because he was so so uptight, so scared. I think Jensen Brooksby in the round of 16 would have beaten him if Jensen Brooksby was physically yeah. 100%. Because Brooksby won the first at 6-1 and then just sort of, he, you know, Jensen to, to win matches – to get to that fourth round, he played like three five-hour matches, so his body couldn't keep it up any longer. But um, I just felt that was the crack starting for Djokovic, and then he's had this strange start to the year with Australia and all the things that have gone on, and I just feel as though you know, maybe his days of being able to lock it down under extreme pressure are going to be more difficult for him to find moving forward. That's not to say he won't win majors. He's an amazing player, but but they're going to be more difficult. It's not automatic, perhaps, any longer. Yeah, and going into you know what a weird and, and strenuous year it's been, Jimmy, he's going into a Wimbledon where his points are going to fall off. He's the favorite to win by a substantial margin, but he's not going to be number one. I mean, that's there, there's a lot that's gone on. It's just so it's just such a fascinating you know couple months for tennis where we thought we were just back in September and. Now Novak's going into Wimbledon without a major and probably going to lose his number one ranking. I think I, I agree with what you said earlier about how Novak looking at history has kind of been a detriment and Rafa just staying in the moment. I mean, it's it's remarkable. He, Rafa's now 110-3 at Roland Garros. That's his overall record, going for title 14, now as the prohibitive favorite to win the tournament. Yes, he is. And he's he's got a clay court game and mentality that in three out of five sets on red clay is proven to be virtually unbeatable, really. So can he keep it up at his age right now physically? Um, I actually think his semifinal with Varev is a spot where he's... I think Varev is as good as any player. I'm glad I'm glad you said that. I really am, because I wanted to, I wanted to dive into that, because I know that Zverev-Alcaraz match... Zverev went into that match as a pretty sizable underdog. In hindsight, being twenty twenty, it just you, you got the sense like this is a little off. Zverev can go away, but that was the first top ten win that he had in a major. Now I say that to kind of preface it with he played these guys a lot, and he didn't get 
wiped out in these major matches. Like he'd gone five with Djokovic. He's taken sets off pretty much all of them and he's beaten them all across the board in other tournaments. But it just seemed like, and, and maybe it's the Alcaraz effect of him rising up the rankings, Jimmy, but didn't it feel like Zverev was kind of floating under the radar for how accomplished he is? Yes, but it's, it's because he's, you know, I'm, I'm singing praises of, of Zverev, Zverev right now, but I actually, had I been a betting man, I would have bet on Baez before the match Ooh. started, okay. played second round. As I watched Zverev play Baez in Rome, and I thought Baez was the better player throughout that entire match and just found a way not to win. Had that feeling of, Zverev's ranked higher. I'm not quite ready to, to win this match yet, but he was the better player. And I, I felt like two things would happen. One, we're now at a major where historically Zverev plays less confidently. And two, Baez is going to come in saying, I played him. I should have beaten him. I felt like I had control of his match and found a way to win. So I thought that match would flip, and I was right for the first two sets. You were. But then... Uh, you know, obviously, Zverev turned it around and won in five. So I still feel as though what I started prefacing saying was that I, I felt like this is not an easy match for Nadal. But my overall thought until proven otherwise with Zverev is he's as good as Djokovic. He's as good as Nadal, tennis-wise. And when he's going to get to the precipice of winning in a, in a major against those guys, I still don't have confidence that he will. But I do think he's going to, this match with Nadal will be difficult for Nadal. I think, I, I think Zverev has no real weakness, except when he gets tight, he'll start double faulting and his, fore, and his forehand will tighten up and he'll give you errors on the forehand. But if he's loose, he's 6'6, serves 140 miles an hour returns unbelievably well, runs and is long, and his backhand might be the best backhand in the game, and he whacks his forehand when he's loose, I don't see a weakness, to be honest. Do you think that beating Alcaraz the way he did, and I not just how he played early, but overcoming what looked like a choke, serving for the match in the fourth set, blowing it, classic for what he had done, but then hunkering back down and winning that tie break? Does he take anything away from, look, I just got through this. I, I didn't choke in this setting. Yes, but Alcaraz isn't, is still not yet Nadal mm -hmm. as far as reputation and everything else. And I also know that there was a little bit of revenge factor from Zverev after getting crushed in Madrid by Alcaraz. It was in Madrid, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, it was Madrid, and that was it. Was Zverev was it was his lowest that he's looked in a long time with the doubles and the airs. And credit to Alcaraz, but yeah, I agree. I mean, it was not the story to me was Zverev playing awful. Yes, but the story that I heard was that Zverev was upset because he played till one in the morning. Oh in yeah, the you heard it from Zverev because he said that. <laughs> yes, and that he had that feeling of, okay, Alcaraz smoked me in this match, but but I'm going to turn this around and it's going to be a different match. And that's sort of a nice feeling to have going into a match where one guy's just killed you and he's, you know, he knows you're going to play a little better. There were a lot mm -hmm. of factors that were sort of favoring Zverev in that matchup, I felt like, you know, from an emotional standpoint.
just from what what had happened a couple of weeks earlier. So I don't think he has that same sort of emotional edge on Nadal. And I do think, like I said, I do think it's going to be a very close match. I think he has even a chance if he can hold his nerve. Can he hold it? I think he has a better chance of, of winning the match with a return to serve than on his serve. How about that? Mm. If he if Nadal slides in, a, he's got match point, and Nadal slides in a you know 85-mile-an-hour lefty slider to the backhand, that might go for a winner. Yeah. But I, I'll be shocked if he does a good thing with his serve or his forehand to finish the match. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Jimmy Arias here on Tennis Channel Inside In. Uh, I think though that's a great analysis of Zverev's chances in this match, which is not a gimme for Rafa in the slightest. Um, he, We go to the other side of the draw, which really opened up, and I want to talk about somebody that didn't make that semifinal, didn't make that quarterfinal round, and that's Stefano Tsitsipas. He's upset by... Uh, who He's upset in that match in a, in a barn burner, by Holger Runa, which is the pronunciation that we're going with officially. Uh, but he loses that match. It's another young guy that beats him. He's got some interesting comments in his press, Jimmy, on how you know he was at the perch and these guys are are getting revenge on him, and now he wants payback. And I just bring this up because it's been an interesting couple months for Sitsipas, who's kind of going through. I don't want to say going through some stuff, but he's going through some stuff in the sense of you know it hasn't the breakthrough at at a major hasn't happened, and now some young guys are coming up to get to his level. What are your thoughts on Stefanos's current game and? some of the setbacks he's had in the bigger tournaments? Um, I mean, he's still one of the best players, obviously. Um, he's got a little bit of a weakness to his game, and that's if you can get the ball sort of heavy and up high to the backhand, whether it be a kick serve or, you know, it's a ball that he's uncomfortable with that he'll give you some opportunities to start controlling. And he's got the issue now of, He's no longer just the guy chasing. So you feel a lot less pressure. And this I can speak with from experience because I was the young guy up and coming. And it was a great feeling, sort of feeling as though I got a lot of years and, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm still striving to become great and I want to pass these guys and these are the guys I'm chasing. And then all of a sudden there's guys younger than you that are chasing you and maybe passing you. And that's when it becomes very distressing. And obviously that's exactly where Tsitsipas finds himself right now. I actually like the attitude that he's sort of bringing of, okay, they, they got me a couple of times. I want revenge. That's the right attitude to have. Um, and I still think he has, his forehand is one of the most lethal, if you know, not the most lethal as far as he takes it very early. Players don't seem to be able to read it. Still serves, you know, gets a lot of free points with his serve. Um, he's still going to be a guy that's, that's in the mix. Yeah. Especially now that the, you know, Djokovic, Nadal, Federer, I, I don't see Federer coming back personally, but I could be wrong. He's proven me wrong many, many times. Um, but, you know, it's got it's nearing the end. It's nearing the end. Those guys are finally kind of getting caught. Um, yeah. The new crop, and I want them to get caught by getting 
beaten, by the way. I don't want them to get caught just because they age out. I mean, Better really did get beaten. He's just kind of aged out. He got injured enough at a certain age where it seems impossible for him to get back to his level. I would want these youngsters to start consistently sort of beating Rafa and Djokovic because they just got better than that. Right. Um, We'll see if that's the case, but they're getting close, that's for sure. Yeah, and I think upsets are... Upsets by other competitive guys at that level. We think Holgaruna is going to be someone that's in the mix, being what he was at the junior level. So I don't think, look, the top guys, the the big three, and, and Andy Murray in that mix, getting to every semifinal. You can attest this. It's not normal historically to last this long and to consistently be this good. I think, you know, we want new a new crop of top players, but upsets are good for the game too. I mean, and I think it's, I think it speaks to the depth of the talent that we're seeing as well. I, I think that Sitsipas and I agree, will be fine. I think he's going to be in the mix. He does have some stuff to work on mentally as well, but I think he'll be fine. I do too. I think he's, he'll be back in semis and finals with majors, you know, before it's all said and done. So that Casper Ruud-Hogaruna match, which went four sets, the first Scandinavian quarterfinal match, Norway versus Denmark in a major at that quarterfinal level. Ruud wins, gets to his first semi-good accomplishment, and then Runa with the with the ice-cold handshake after. And this is, you know, and I like it. I think it's great. I mean, fans of other sports, especially as I am, I think it's good. But a little icy at the net there. And uh, that's kind of, you mentioned it earlier, Hogaruna. Holger, is confident. He believes he's going to be the best in the world. And sometimes that does spill over into other areas. It does. And he's still kind of a junior. I mean, he's just, I know he's not, he's a pro hundred percent obviously, but he has, he's still young enough and he has that sort of enthusiasm and doesn't believe the line calls. I saw him questioning a few line calls that were kind of ridiculous almost. Um, yeah. Sometimes he was complaining about line calls. So that's, that's still, you know, the other players, when you see a youngster and they're acting like that, you kind of, there's a little disdain that you have for them. And I think Rude sort of had a little bit of, of that as the match was going on. I did see one of their changeovers where Rude sort of said something to Runa. Runa answered back. But he's got that swagger. It he reminds me a tiny bit of, at least attitude-wise, one of my favorite sort of where I still giggle about it was, Djokovic playing Nadal in the quarters of Roland Garros, but Djokovic was only like 18 and Nadal was already, you know. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I remember that match. Maybe won two or three majors, you know, Roland Garros is already. And I hadn't heard of Djokovic until that tournament, really. So I called that match. And Nadal won maybe 6-4, 6-4. I'm going off completely off memory here, but he won the first two sets, and then Djokovic defaulted. Mm-hmm. First two sets, somewhat competitive, but not, you know, you still were feeling Nadal was in control. And Djokovic post-match said, you know, it's a shame because I, I really thought I, had, I, was, <laughs> yeah. I was better than I was. You know, I should have been winning the match. And I remember reading, going, this, what, is this kid delusional <laughs> or what? Yeah. And, you know, he becomes Novak Djokovic not too long after that. So this Runa kid seems to have a little bit of that belief that's almost bordering on delusional, but yet he's about to prove every, you know, that he's right, that he knows what he's talking about. And I, but I think that sort of confidence and it rubs off on the opponent slightly. They sense it too. They feel it as well. 
So I think that's part of it. And, and Runa, obviously, at some point, you got to learn someone needs to tell him when you lose a match. You look your opponent in the eye, you shake hands and say, congratulations, well done. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. you know, one-on-one of competing in this sport. At the end of the thing, you give everything you got and you, you acknowledge that your opponent did something better than you that day. And that's not to say you won't come back and beat him the next time. But on that day, he gets what he deserves. And that's a, at least a good good handshake. Yeah, some irrational confidence has propelled a lot of athletes to uh, greater heights. But uh, And I'm with you there. I love it. I love that delusion because it can propel you to, to great things. But, yeah, the handshake part is where it's like, okay. And, and he's young. He'll get that for sure. But somebody whose confidence never left seemingly, Jimmy, was Marin Cilic. I mean – 17 to 1 were the odds I saw to get to this round in the tournament, the semifinals, for a veteran who Clay had not been historically his best surface, had a lot of injuries, didn't have a lot of match play, and he dismantles Medvedev, and he's the better player in most of that match against Rublev. So Marin Cilic back into a semifinal, one win away improbably from making a major final on all three surfaces. Just an incredible, incredible run by Marin Cilic here. Yeah, what's funny is I guess I saw him play. I think he was only 19 years old. He played Djokovic at third round of the U.S. Open when I watched that match. And I remember thinking, this guy's this guy is very good. He's 6'6 and moves. And cre- you don't notice that he's 6'6. So I always felt as though, you know, and obviously he's won a major from that point on. And he's, as you've mentioned, he's, a, he's possibly he's one match away from from making a final on every surface in a major um, and all four majors. He's when he's right mentally, he's got all the things that you need a little bit, perhaps like Vera, but maybe slightly less weapony than Vera is to me. Slightly, slightly less. He's got a very similar sort of, he's huge. He's long. He hits the ball big off both wings. Um, moves very well. All of those things are recipes to have success in this sport. And I feel it's similar for him. Serve, second serve sometimes, can go off. Forehand can sort of start losing its way at times. He can miss even backhands at times. So when he's confident, look out. Obviously, we've seen that a number of times. He's confident for whatever reason at Roland Garros this year. He came in from the very start whacking players he was yeah. not losing game so he obviously came in he found something this this tournament and it's lasted through the entire two weeks so you know you'd think historically on this surface over the last few years the results rude should be in the finals i'm not so sure chillich chillich might win the thing in the end which would be kind of funny because the top half of the draw is beating themselves to a pulp right you know, with how tough that draw was. And and Chilich is just sort of cruising through. I mean, obviously he had a fairly tough match with Rublev, and it, it, if he does beat Rude, I would expect it to be a difficult match. But he wouldn't have had to expend quite what Nadal has had to expend. No, he, no, he wouldn't. Uh, it, it's just been good to see him him zoning in and him getting back to form. I mean, he, this is a guy who you mentioned the we, we were at the top saying the two, 2014 U.S. Open run looked very similar to this, where he's just breathing through. There wasn't a lot of adversity. He beat Federer in straight sets. Like 
It's looked very reminiscent of that, and I know it's even more impressive given he's up there in age, the miles on the injuries. Uh, that win over Rublev in the uh, that win over Rublev in the quarterfinals, I actually was kind of a little surprised. I mean, Sinner Rublev was the match before, and I thought Sinner was going to win that match if his body didn't break down. I like some of the stuff that Rublev does, but I mean, the serve to me, Jimmy needs to improve because that second serve from Rublev was getting kind of abused by Chilich in most of that match. It's the one part of the men's game that I actually, I can say I'm slightly disappointed in is that there's not many players, but there's a few players that weakness I would say would be second serve and, and Rublev is, is one of those players. But for the most part, mm-hmm. the men's tour doesn't take the opportunity to mm-hmm. really attack second serves. They still sort of stand back where they're comfortable and start the points. Mm-hmm. And on the women's tour, WCA tour, if you have a weak second serve, you are getting eaten. I mean, there's no chance. The player is going to be three feet behind the service line taking a full cut at your second serve and basically telling you this second serve isn't going to be good enough. Sorry. And so, you know, that's I think if you're playing Rublev and you're looking at it, honestly, that's the spot you you get after right away. So, and maybe people are going to start learning that from him. I mean, there's a few other players as well, and I'm not going to, mentioned second serves, but I just feel as though if you know a player virtually only wants to hit a kick because they're not comfortable trying to go a little bigger or slide it, and they're 90% of the time kicking, you should find a way to attack that, not let them get away with that. Just allow them to start points. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. couple more things with Jimmy Arias here on Tennis Channel Inside In. I have to bring up the women's side of things. We have a final setup. It's going to be Iga Sviantek versus Coco Goff, both winning in straight sets, both barely losing any games on the surface. Uh, you start with Iga Sviantek. There's not really much more to add that we haven't been saying in the last couple weeks. She's now at a win streak of 34 straight matches uh, tied with Serena Williams for the second most in the 21st century. Venus Williams, 135, so a final will equal that. Uh, 16 sets won by a bagel score of 6-love this year. A lot of low resistance being shown against uh, Iga in this match, in this tournament as well. Jimmy, from a talent evaluation standpoint, as someone that's worked with a lot of these young up-and-coming players, how do you see it from your perspective why she's so dominant? I feel as though she has a strange combination of taking the ball pretty early, but also hitting it pretty heavy. So by heavy, I mean a little bit more spin than you see a lot of the times on the WTA tour. And I think that she can open up the court more because of that spin. And I feel as though it just gets on the players a little bit quicker than they expect then they see the ball jumping and they can feel the weight and they lose control of their shots and they feel that that constant pressure that she's applying on the return games. And then I feel though her second serve is 
pretty kicky. And pre- it, again, the biggest weapon that's on the WTA Tour is two most important shots by a mile, second serve and return. Those two things. Because it's sort of the Serena Williams play and the reason she was dominant for so many years. She had the best second serve, so you couldn't attack her second serve as successfully. And then she did not let you breathe for a second, even on the first serve. And Fontek does a little bit of that, too. They take it early and rip it and get control of the points, both on serve games and return games. Mm-hmm. Fontek does that, it's control of the points early. And I would have loved to have seen, you know, a little bit longer of Fontek because Ash served so well and could maybe blunt some of the spin with slice and do yeah. some things to, you know, counteract what she's been doing. But for right now, no one on the tour can do much with Frontex's game. Having said that, Coco Golf, it seems to me, and I don't know, you might know better, where I, I, I called a few of the matches early in the tournament, and it looked to me like Roland Garros was playing slower than I've seen it in yes. the past. Yeah, I would agree. And that was the, the feeling I got watching the matches. And the other feeling I got is when you're playing Coco Golf right now, you can't hit a winner against her. The conditions are too slow, and she's just too fast. And Fontek's accustomed to finishing the points. She's in control, and she just finishes them. If she has to hit, you know, 15 shots instead of three to finish the points, she might not be able to, to, to deal with that quite as well as she's been dealing with everybody else. So I do think with the skill set that Goff has, if she's serving reasonably well she's got to make sure the second serve double faults don't happen yeah um and the other thing for coco is she gives you no pace sort of high balls with the forehand she also is spinning with her forehand heavier than most people but it's it's bouncing up a little higher so that might be a little more uncomfortable for Sontag. i think this is going to be an interesting final very interesting final and because coco moves so well i think she has a she has a pretty reasonable chance yeah, a uh, couple things on that. One being Coco has not lost a set in this French Open. Uh, she's playing marvelous. The serve issues. She beats Trevisan today, 6-3, Two double faults in the match. Two French Opens ago, the fall 2021 they played, and she double faulted herself out of the tournament. So the serve issues have gone away for now at least. I called her second round match against Ben Utbank, and she did throw in quite a number of double faults in that match lost her serve a few times where she gave it away that hasn't happened in the other matches and she made an interesting comment before this semi-final match with Travis on saying I lost her last time because I double faulted however many times and I'm not going to do that again so she she obviously has confidence in her second serve that she announced that before the match started that I'm not going to do that again and she's true to her word so Let's assume she's not going to double fault. And in that case, yeah, we both seem to agree that her movement has been so impressive that even as well as Fontek hitting the ball, she might not be able to hit her off without making six, seven, eight shots that would be winners against other players, you know, every point. you got to hit six winners before you actually get one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and they've had two matches they played in Miami this year. Ego's won them both. They played on clay last year in Rome. It was seven six six three for Ega. There were some double fault issues for Coco as well in that one. But 
I, I agree. I think she's got the best chance of anyone that Iga's gone up against in this tournament. I do also think that for this match to go in Coco's favor, we're going to have to see a little bit of a level drop. And what's impressed me as much as anything during this streak and during all these during this run is the expectation that's that's been put on Iga to keep winning and keep performing. She seems pretty mentally stable. There hasn't been those dips that we've seen on both tours when you know your tennis, your best tennis can get away from you. She seems pretty locked in and engaged. And unless that dip happens, which could come as a result of Coco putting some pressure on her because it's so hard to finish points against her, I just think Iga is, is in a zone right now that few players ultimately do ever reach. She's obviously in, in that zone, but this is also a final of a major. So, you know, there's all kinds of question marks that come up. I know Iga's won this title in the past, but it's not like she's been hanging around practicing many finals of slams. That hasn't happened. So, and Coco is in her first ever major final, and you never know how someone's going to react to that. They can, you know, they can Guillermo Coria it or Gaston Gaudio was actually, he won the title, but he was more nervous than anyone I've ever seen for the first two sets in the, in the match that I'm just referencing. And, or you can just sort of, you know, Marin Cilic, his first major final playing in the, you know, 3-3-3 three, three, three final against Nishikori as though there's no pressure at all. So you never know what you're going to get. You usually expect the great ones that are going to be great to go ahead and play at their top level. And I kind of feel like Coco's probably going to be playing at her. She's not going to, the moment's not going to be too big for her. She's expecting this and it's finally happened for her. Jimmy Arias, this has been fun. I can't wait for the French Open finals, the semifinal round for the men, and then the finals for both tournaments. We'll see what happens. And and I'll I'll end with this. I'm just hoping that we don't get any controversy with marks or anything like that. I know we're we're still in the the some would say stone ages. And I know, you know, I, I know that players, I know in your history too, there's been times when marks have gone for you, gone against you. I'm just hoping for no controversy in that regard. Yes and no. It's always interesting to see how people react to the, uh, to the. You don't want anyone to get cheated to have yeah. that anything blatant. The one thing with marks when you're checking marks that I still contend, and I've seen it this tournament, is the ball will be checked out. The mark will expand enough for the umpire to run down and say there's no space between the line and the ball, so it's good. Okay, that's that's the one that happens the most often. And that could happen again, obviously. I just hope it doesn't. I, I don't. I like seeing how people react to it, but I don't want it to be the, the cause of a, a different winner. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to talk down the road some point about your history. I think there's some, some Davis Cup ties I want to dive into, but we'll save that for okay. another day. <laughs> yeah, all right. Please do. Jimmy, thanks so much for coming on the show. Always welcome here and uh, look forward to talking tennis with you in the future. Be good. Thanks, Mitch. Take care. That was Jimmy Arias on Tennis Channel Inside In. We'll be back next week for a update of who won the French Open. You can find the entire catalog on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Go to tennis.com slash podcast. For more of all of this and every entire show on our catalog, I am Mitch Michaels for Jimmy Arias. This was Tennis Channel Inside In. We'll see you next week.